Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. If you have your Bibles, open it with me to Psalms chapter 103. And as you do say this with me tonight, I receive the Word of God to profit me, reproof me, convict me, instruct me to righteousness that I may become perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You just quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Here in Psalms 103 that goes along with our theme here uh, this week. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. (coughs) Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives you of all your iniquities, who heals you of all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, and who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, and who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. This is a royal priesthood event. And I release the anointing of God right now to put your crowns on, because you are prince and princesses of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you're in that kingdom, just like Prince Charles and Prince William, you have nothing to be concerned about because everything is already provided for you. And when you look at Psalms 103, and it was years ago that I was praying, and and I was just saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I said, Lord, I want to bless you. I want to bless you, Lord. Show me how I can bless you. I want to bless you. And I spent weeks just praying, God, show me how I can bless you. I'm not going to let go of this, Lord. I'm going to be diligent at this, and I'm going to find out how I can bless the Lord. Well, you know, blessing the Lord is almost like buying your father's a Father's Day's gift when he has everything, you know, and, uh, you know, found out that, you know, what my father wanted was just me to be with him, you know. Well, how much more does your heavenly father want you to be with him? And so one day I was praying. He said, you really want to bless me? I said, yes been praying this for weeks, you know, finally, you're, you're, you're talking to me, you know. And he said, well, then read the rest of it. What does it say? I said, forget now all your benefits. He said, that's what blesses me. Don't forget what I've done for you. I want to do these things for you. God wants to load you daily, the scripture says, with benefits. That's God's plan for your life. And so it goes on, he says, redeems, or who has purchased, who, or, or in a sense, who has bought back that, those things which has been destroyed in your life. And so he wants to redeem those things that have been destroyed. Now go with me to Psalms 23 and says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That means that I shall not lack. There's no lack in the kingdom of God. You know, to the degree that God is your shepherd, to the degree that you trust him, is to the degree that you will not walk in the lack. You know, it tells us in the word of God that when we put our trust in him according to his divine power, he's given you all things, say all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. If we could turn this fan off, it would really help me. I think that's what, is it the fan or the air conditioner that's blowing my Bible away? Anyway, something's blowing my, my, my pages around here. I would greatly appreciate that. So Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He, le- he leads me beside still waters. 
and he restoreth my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You know, yes, he leads me in paths of righteousness, but he restores my soul for his namesake. You know, and uh, I, I, you know, one of the things that I endeavor to do and hope that when I minister to ministers is that if you're like me, I'm always looking for sermon material. I'm always looking for something that, you know, yeah, this, I can work with this. I can do something with this, you know, not maybe right away, but, but, but sometimes, but not right away, you know. And so I always like to leave some tidbits with ministers about great sermon materials. And one of great sermon material is I did a series on I Want My Soul Back right out of this. You know, the number one thing that most people are challenged with in their walk with God is their soul. And I know I'm, I'm ministering to a whole bunch of people who are Bible scholars and theologians and probably know more about the Word than I do, but we know our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And that's the area that gets hung up in our hearts, in our lives, that hinders us from, you know, really stepping out and reaching out and receiving from God. Because a lot of times when we go through something, we feel like we're not good enough, and God's already made us good enough. Can I hear an amen in this shouting church? You know, and that's, and that's the key. That's one of the things that you have to understand. And the word restore here means to return back. It means to return again. And one of the words that we got from uh, Brother Jerry Savelle, and I want you to receive this for yourself, but divine reversals. Divine reversals. Now, here's one of the things you have to understand about prophetic words. Don't get a preconceived idea what a divine reversal is, okay? Or don't get a preconceived idea of what a prophecy is. How many of you know the story in Judges, I believe, book uh, chapter 6, where uh, Deborah was the prophetess? Amen. So women being prophets is biblical. Glory to God. There is your Adelaide right there. Okay. So, but anyway, Deborah, the prophetess, she calls up Barak, Bar Bar however you want to say, Barak. And uh, so anyway, or Barak, however you want to say, you know. And anyway, she said, listen, the Lord is anointing you to deliver Israel. From Sisera. Sisera was the captain of uh, the, the army at that particular time that was attacking Israel, oppressing them. You know, and he said, well, if this is a word from God, then I want you to go with me. That's basically, that's my paraphrase, but that's what he said. And, you know, and Deborah said, well, it's going to be said that, you know, Israel was, be, be, was delivered by the hand of a woman. And most of us stop right there and we go, Deborah, you did such a good job. You know, you delivered Israel. Uh, Deborah didn't deliver Israel. J.L. did. If you read the story, Sisera was running. He went into J.L.'s tent, and she's the one who drove the tent peg through his temple. Okay, remember the story? But we already have this preconceived idea. How, even reading the Word, we had get a preconceived idea of uh, how it really came to pass, and we don't read it in depth enough to realize God did it a different way. Because we have this preconceived idea of how God's going to bring in our situation divine reversals. And I am telling myself, I refuse to allow myself to preconceive what, God's, what God means by divine reversal. I'm going to let God bring it any way he wants to bring it to pass. Amen? And that's one of the keys about prophetic words. You've got to just say, God, what does this look like in your eyes? What, what are you really saying to me? And so restore means to return back. It means to bring back or to render or, or recompense or to recover. And this is what God wants to do. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. And, uh, you know, and, and, and one of the things that, uh, you know, my wife shared earlier about some of the challenges that we went through, you know, 
And, and the good news is God's restored. Now, we haven't seen the numbers yet, but we're almost to the point where we have seen a restoration in the finances. Thank God for that. And we've seen growth, and we're seeing people come in the church, you know. But let me just tell you something about church. There's only one reason why people leave church, because they don't want to stay. They have thousands of excuses. You know, don't, don't spend all your effort trying to talk them into staying. You know, let them go. God bless them. If they don't want to be here, if they're leaving because they're mad, then they're doing you a favor. You know, sometimes the health of a church is based on the people who leave. Hello, somebody. Come on now. You know, I don't want to get too graphic with this, but you know how medical science checks, finds out if you're healthy? They check out what has been going on in your discharge. Hello. It's called a UA. Don't, let, don't make me get graphic here now. Come on now. You know, you know, this is how they find out what's going on in your system by examining what's been discharged. You know, sometimes the, the, the sign of a healthy church is what's being discharged. You know, sometimes God's doing you a favor, hello, by removing certain people in your ministry. What does Psalms 133 says? It says, blessed are those who dwell in unity, for it's there I will command the blessings. You know, two, it's a lot easier for two people to be unified than 200. Come on, somebody. Not that God can't, you can't have 200 people unified, because you can but you know what? you got to start with unity more than anything else. And that's the key right there. That's where he will command his blessing on it. And so sometimes you have to ask yourself, Pastor, do you want a crowd or do you want a congregation? We have a congregation. Amen. I know how to bring a crowd. You know, if I put an advertisement in the paper, hey, we're going to give, and I've done this, hey, we're going to give a free meal to everybody who comes out. You know what? We had a crowd. You know what? They got their free meal and they left. You know, didn't do any good. You know, I'd rather have a congregation than have a crowd. I'd rather have five faithful than 500 unfaithful people. Come on, somebody. And so, you know, we got to put some things in perspective because, you know, God doesn't uh, judge your success by the size of your ministry. God judges your, your success by the heart of your obedience. Oh, I'm doing really good tonight. So here in, in Romans 12, this is something the Lord showed me when we, when we went through some of the things that we went through. And it says here in verse 10, be kindly and affection to one another with brotherly love. You know, it's really hard to be kind and affection to somebody who you know that was living in your rented house having meetings to put together a conspiracy against you. That's what we experienced. It happened, you know. And so it's kind of hard to do this. But you know, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. You know, and so I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm going to love, I'm going to love. It's kind of hard when you know that some of your elders put together a meeting and encourage other people to go into other people's homes and encourage them to leave. I'm going to love, no, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to do this, you know, and these are things that happen. We're not the only church this has happened to, so don't feel sorry for me. And for those who are in Family Worship Center who have never heard this, this went on over 12 years ago, okay? And so don't think it's going on now because it's not, and if it was, I'd kick you out in a heartbeat. But anyway, <laughs> not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patience, tribulations, <laughs> rejoicing in hope, patience, and tribulations. Is that what the word says? 
You know, that's my favorite scripture, isn't it yours? <laughs> Continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, that's hard. You know, this is when I discovered, you know, when, when, when Jesus said, you know, when someone strikes you on, on the, uh, a cheek, turn the other cheek, it doesn't mean give them a second chance to hit you. It means don't wear your hurts. Give your best. Show your best. Do your best. Listen, pastors, I understand when someone leaves your church, you know what they're really doing? They're firing you. You're fired. That's exactly what they're doing. Now, I was fired once, you know, and, and it wasn't fun. Uh, I didn't know what I did. You know, I was working for a ministry. I worked for him three months, and, and the uh, uh, office manager called me in, and, and uh, I was working for Dr. Ed Cole, and he said, Dr. Ed Cole said to fire you. I said, what did I do wrong? He goes, I don't know. He just said to fire you, so you're gone. Oh, well, hey, you know, it'd help if I knew what I did wrong, you know, and I knew the emotions I went through. And every time someone leaves your church wrong, that's the emphasis, wrong. Some people leave right. We have people leave right, and praise God for them, you know. But when they leave wrong, they're saying, I fired. You're not good enough for me. That's what they're really saying. And there's emotions you go through when you're fired. There's, it's, it's difficult, you know. And a lot of times what a lot of people don't understand as a pastor, you're being judged for every service you're in. Well, I like this, but I didn't like that. Well, you know, praise God. Whatever you didn't like, that's your problem, not mine. I'm just preaching the word of God. I'm doing what God told me to do. And listen to me, pastors, you can't look to your sheep to bring comfort and healing to you. They're not designed to do that. They don't need to know what you're going through. They don't need to know what you're going through. You need to continue to be steadfast in prayer so you can give them your very best. But this is why ICFM is so powerful, because you need another pastor, another minister that you can confide in, that you can talk to, that you can share some of these things with so that you can get prayed. What does the Bible say? Confess your faults one to another. Pastors, you don't confess your faults to your congregation. Hello, because those people who create the problem, they're just using those faults to create more problems. Hello. You go in by faith. You smile by faith. You live by faith, and you preach by faith. Because you know what? Everything's going to be all right. Why? Because it says it right here. It says, bless those who, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, or, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if possible, it's not always possible, but if possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Isn't that what it says? Don't avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. I will repay. Here, let me tell you something. God will repay to you everything. We just saw it, Psalms 103. He redeems your life from what? The destruction of the enemy. Who destroyed your work? Who came in to destroy your work? You think the angel of the Lord came to do that? No. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you know what? Keep your faith in God because God says it doesn't matter what he steals. It doesn't matter what he takes. I will repay all. I will repay all. Now, when I first got my life right with God, I was an engineer student out here at the University of Missouri. My mom was Methodist. My dad was Catholic. And I told everybody I was confused. 
And so anyway, I was called when I was around 11 years old. And uh, I was going fishing one Sunday morning. And I was telling the Lord, I'm sorry I'm not in church, you know. And, and I've always been this way in my prayer life, you know. I gave my life to Jesus when I was nine years old. You know, I didn't know anything else other than that. And uh, so I told the Lord I was fishing one Sunday morning. And as I was going to the, 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 the place I was fishing, you know, I told the Lord, I said, I'm so sorry I'm not in church. I said, but you know, Lord, I don't like church. I'm just talking to the Lord, you know. I don't like church. I really wasn't expecting him to talk back to me. But I don't like church. He said, that's okay. You'll like church when you get older because I called you to preach. Man, I stopped in my tracks. I could take you to the place in Union, Missouri, where I was, God spoke to me. And I turned around, you know, uh, with my 20-pound tackle box and my three fishing rods and I looked at my mom and dad's home, and I looked back, and my dad was an engineer, and my mom was getting her degree in, in, as a teacher. And I thought for a moment, and I thought, I don't want to become a preacher. They don't make any money. And I turned around and dismissed it. And then, you know, when things went wrong in my life, it was like, oh, dear God, you know, he's punishing me because I'm not a preacher. I really felt that way, you know, when I lost a basketball game. Yeah, I'm being punished because I'm supposed to be a preacher, you know. And it haunted me from time to time. But then when I got my life right with God, it began to haunt me and haunt me and haunt me. And at the University of Missouri, I had three professors in the same semester ask me if I was called into the ministry. Now, that's unusual. Are you called? I don't know what called is. I'm hardly in church. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working. You know, I worked as a construction engineer out the, out the nuclear power plant, you know, and, and I start going to this Pentecostal uh, Bible study. I didn't know anything about, you know, Pentecostalism or anything like that, you know. And uh, somebody left a Kenneth Hagin book on my desk. How dare them. And I read that book, and you know what it was? It was, it was Devils and Demons, Volume 2. What a beginning to be disciple, you know, and well, I was intrigued, so I found volume one, and then I found volume three, and, and then I found other books, and, and I wrote him, and he wrote me back. I was like, wow, this preacher wrote me back, you know, and he started sending me books, and I started reading the word, and then I got involved in a Bible study, and the uh, director of that particular Bible study at a Methodist church was spirit-filled, and he taught Kenneth Hagin stuff. And he recognized there was a calling in my life. And we went to camp meeting. 1982, I'd heard about these camp meetings, you know, where people dance before God. I was like, whoa, this ought to be fun. You know, you got to remember, I'm a Methodist boy. Hmm? Everything's methodic, you know. We knew the Neosan Creed by heart. We knew the three songs before they were ever read. We knew it would be the first and the fourth stance of every hymn that we, read, we, we sang. We knew it would be out by 1045 because the preacher had to be at the next church at 11. So we knew these things. Everything was methodic, you know. But get, get in a place where people are dancing before God. Whoa, you know, and so I'm going down with my, with this Bible school, uh, not Bible school, but Bible study director, you know, and, 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 and I'm asking, I said, do they get, do they, do they dance before, oh yeah, man, the Spirit of God, boy, I, I'm excited. And so, you know, July of 1982, the Spirit of God comes on me and revisits me and reminds me that I'm called into the ministry. So great, you know, what's my dad going to say, 
you know, they're paying, the, the company's paying for my education. My dad's already made a way for me to get put on Union Electric, which is now Ameren UE, and they're going to finish paying my education, you know, and, 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 you know, my dad is superintendent of maintenance of the power plant out there, and, and, you know, I'll probably be an engineer for five years, and then I'll be the assistant superintendent because, you know, my dad will make that happen for me. I mean, my, my life was already set before me, man. I, I, I love being an engineer. I really love being a construction engineer, you know. So I thought, well, you know, hey, you know what I'll do? I think I'll finish my engineering degree, and I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia. Forget this. You know, Dad, you have to get over it. I'm not going to work for your company. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to be an underground missionary. Well, it didn't work out. You know, I just couldn't get away from this calling. And so I thought, right in the middle of the semester, you know, I thought, you know what, this isn't working out for me. So I quit school, and uh, I, I, I called up Rama and said, hey, I'm supposed to go to Bible school. They said, it's too late. You can't go here. I go, wait a minute. Somebody else got in late. They said, well, that was an exception. We're not going to let you come. I said, well, fine, you know. So, you know, I mean, after all, I've been down to Kenneth Hagin's camp meeting. I heard Brother Copeland. So I called his ministry up. I said, hey, I'm supposed to go to Bible school and go to Texas and go to Bible school. And they said, well, good luck, you know, because they're trained not to let, because a lot of times when people go down there, they end up being a problem for them. I didn't know that. So I called Jerry Savelle's ministry. I said, hey, I'm supposed to go to Fort Worth, Texas. God told me to go to Fort Worth, Texas and go to Bible school. And they said, you know what? That bears witness with me. Well, come to find out later on, I worked for Brother Jerry. And uh, the lady who I talked to, we were sitting and having lunch, and we put the dots together. She was a lady. She goes, that's remarkable because we're, we're told not to ever tell anybody to do this. And so anyway, she connected me to Pastor Bob Nichols' church. He had the Bible school. Jerry had uh, uh, put his Bible school away for a while or dissolved it or whatever, and, and, and his Christian school and Bible school went over to Pastor Bob, and his church went over to Harold Nichols' uh, church. And so, you know, I found that I found out. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Bible school, you know, and this is where I met my lovely wife. So, I mean, hey, it's, it's beneficial to go to Bible school, let me tell you. But anyway, and so I went to Bible school, and God begins to deal with my heart to come back to Columbia and have a revival. And so I go back to my Methodist Bible study, and I have a revival. I'm preaching to them. My first meeting was at the nursing home. There on uh, Grindstone, not Grindstone, uh, where Cosmo Park is, right there. What's that, that, that rest home across from there? What's the name of that? I, I forget now. Anyway. Candlelight. Candlelight. You know, uh, uh, the, 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 the guy that was in charge of the uh, Methodist Bible study said, hey, I got a place, a Candlelight Lodge. I thought that was like, you know, the Masonic Lodge or, you know, you know this other lodge, you know. And so, man, I'm so excited, and I go into this candlelight lodge, and I set up the chairs, and I put up a podium, you know, and I put advertisement in the paper, and all of a sudden, here comes all these people rolled in wheelchairs. <laughs> that was my first revival. But the people from the Methodist Bible study came and supported me. And so then we would come back, and we did it again. We, we did it again at Candlelight Lodge, you know. And so anyway, well, a church started. And when that church started, called Grace Church of Mid-Missouri, when that church started, most of the people from that Bible study went to that church. 
And they said, you need to call the pastor. So I called the pastor up. I said, hey, I said, I have a meeting uh, there every year. And the people from the Methodist Bible study, they support me. So oh, come on, have a meeting for me. I said, okay. So we went in, Vicky and I, we went in, you know, and under all the anointing that we knew that we could ever get at that particular time. You know, and, and, and listen, I'm a rookie preacher. I'm young at this. I misquoted scriptures. I mean, you know, I did the best I could. I spit it. I shouted. I jumped up and down. I sweat it, you know. But despite all that I did, God still moved. You know, we asked people if you want a prayer, they got up. We didn't even lay hands on them. They started falling down on each other like cord work. We never seen anything like this. We're going, whoa, look at this. Man, this is what I read in Charles Finney. People falling on each other. Boy, this must be revival, you know. And so Vicky and I, we go out with the pastor afterwards, you know, and like I said, a lot of people that knew me, pastors from other areas in this area knew me, a couple pastors knew me, they came to support me and everything like that, you know. And we're thinking, man, we, we had a move of God, this is wonderful. And we went out to have dinner with them and the worship leader, and we weren't even invited in their conversation. We sat there like, you know, are, are we with somebody? I mean, it was cold. It was indifferent. It was challenging. And I thought, what the heck's going on here? You know, I, I guess, you know, I guess I must have done something wrong. And so anyway, uh, he shakes my hand and said, we'll send you an offering. I said, okay. And so on the way out of Columbia, right there on 70, right by the Lake of the Woods exit, the Lord speaks to me. He said, don't ever come back to Columbia again. This was 1987. That was our, that was our, our last time in Columbia. I said, Why? He said, because I've called you to pastor in Columbia, Missouri, and I don't want you to come back, and I don't want you to be accused of proselyting other people for your ministry. I said, okay, I won't go back. Well, I didn't tell Vicki, because when Vicki and I first met, she told me she wasn't going to marry pastor, she wasn't going to move to Missouri, <laughs> and she wasn't going to live in the country. So when we started the church in 1997, you know, well, obviously she's married to a pastor. I live with my parents who live on 80 acres, and then the second year, God supernaturally, because of divine favor upon our lives, put us in a home that was 20,000 square feet, but they had a loft over another three-car garage that was 1,100 square feet, and they had a mile and a quarter driveway, and, um, you know, they had a pebble stone driveway that was heated going into their house so they didn't have to shovel snow, you know, and it was just a beautiful spread, and we lived there for another six years while we started the church, and so we... We lived in the country. You know, well, the first two years that we started the church, Vicki stayed back, and I picked her up from Kansas City, and uh, we, she would come, and we would come back, and we'd have church, and she'd leave. She, she'd meet me on Sunday. We'd have church on Sunday. I'd take her back at, on Saturday, and she'd have a service for the singles because we were singles directors there in Fort Worth, Texas. And so she would do that. And uh, so anyway, she'd go back and forth and for two years. And then finally, she moved in with me after two years. Thank God she finally, you know, moved back in with me. Praise God for it. Amen. And one day, she was sitting there and she goes, Luther, that's her way of getting my attention. Luther, I go, what? She goes, what is it about you that you get everything you want? I said, what do you mean? She goes, I wasn't going to marry a pastor. I wasn't going to move to Missouri. And I wasn't going to live in the country. And you got everything that you want. I said, well, the Bible says when a man treats his wife right, he gets his prayers answered. 
So you thought I forgot about what happened uh, when I first left that uh, Grace Church in Mid Missouri, right? You forgot about the. You thought I forgot. I didn't forget about the offering. What happened was a week later, I called the pastor and I said, "Hey, I hadn't seen the offering coming. Oh, yeah, we we sent it, and I got a hundred dollars." And something was in my spirit that just wasn't right. But the Lord said, let it go and move on. So 1997, we came up here. We started the church, started that old bar. And I'm telling you, God just blessed us. I mean, we were able to uh, purchase that old bar and put $60,000 cash in it and pay it off in two and a half years and three years running two services. you know. But the very first day that we started the church, the night before we started the first church. You know, thank God I'm married to a prophet. Well, sometimes I wonder. You ever been married to a prophet? And I'm driving down the road. She goes, what are you thinking? I go, I, I can't tell you what I'm thinking. She says, I know what you're thinking is wrong. Quit it. I know it. You know, it's hard to be married to a prophet. She knows everything about me. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, but uh, so the night before the service, she goes, how long do you think we'll be here? When we're, we're, we're just starting a church. How long do you think we'll be here? I'm thinking... Well, I thought you understood we were moving here permanently. You know, she goes, no, I mean this location. I said, I don't know, man. I'm just, I mean, it's an old bar. It still stunk. I mean, it had wine bottles in it. It had beer coolers in it. I mean, we had to clean all that out to get ready for church and stuff like that. I said, I don't know. We're just renting it. I, I don't know. She said, we'll be here five years. So, so we end up buying that place, cleaning it up, putting $60,000 to remodel in it, which is cheap today. And so anyway, and we paid it off in two and a half years. We were running two services after three years, you know. And so I went to Fort Worth and visit with my pastor. We're having lunch. We're about ready to get up. And he said, let's sit back down. Let's pray. You know, well, man, he's a man of prayer. I like to pray. But in the restaurant, you know, this is unusual. So we pray. He gives me a word. He said, there's a church that's going to come to you and want to merge with you. I'm thinking, oh, man, that's great. That's wonderful. Well, we were helping another church here in town. Not only did we have that, you know, old bar uh, paid for, but we went out and uh, there was a, a double-wide trailer uh, uh, and that company went bankrupt and we bought that. And then Vicki, you know, uh, she was bold and went and asked the, you know, guy who owned the business next to us, hey, can we rent your, your uh, uh, warehouse for our youth ministry? It was 7,000 square feet. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. He, she goes, well, how much will you charge? He said $200 a month. Is that favor? Is that favor? And so there was a church that was struggling here in town. And see, when a new church comes in, if they're playing it right, we sow a seed into it. You know, that's what Brother Copeland taught us to do. So we sow a seed. We're sowing a seed in this particular church. We're encouraging him, you know, and he, he confides in me. He said, my bishop said if, if, if we don't have this many people in so many months, he said he's going to remove me and take me somewhere else. So I'm thinking, well, that's the church that's probably going to merge with us, you know. They got a handful of people. Well, he shuts down his work, and they merge with another church. I'm thinking, well, okay, God gave me this word. And so in the meantime, the pastor of this particular church, you know, five years after we started our work, pastor of this particular church, he resigns. And we, we, we hear things, you know, but, you know, we don't get involved in other people's rumors. We don't, we, we don't repeat other th what other people are saying about other things. We just... We just, it's not healthy to do that, trust me. Just don't get involved in other people's, you know, cat fights. And so, but we heard some things, you know. And then one day, we get this phone call, and they said, we're the transition team from Grace Church in Mid-Missouri. I go, yes. And they said, well, you know, we don't have a pastor. I said, I heard. And they said, we'd like to come visit with you. I said, okay. So they walk into my office, 
And they sit down and they look at me and I look at them. And they look at me and I look at them. I'm like, well, they said, preacher, you want to merge churches? I'm like, really? And we looked at each other and we kind of smiled. I said, it's kind of, kind of interesting because we got this word that a church is going to come to us and want to merge with us, you know. And we, we said, well, you know, we'll, we'll consider it. We'll look at it. So anyway, called my pastor up. Thank God for a pastor. Called my pastor up and he said, we'll go out and check it out, see what's going on here. So we came out and we walked around here, you know, and we knew it was right. And we met the guy who was still basically legally in charge of this particular property. And so he showed us around and everything, you know. And so anyway, the, uh, you know, the, the place that we're living, you know, the 20,000 square foot, you know that this guy is a, a man of influence financially. We know that, you know. Uh, Mr. Smith was his name. And so he said, Tom, if I can ever help you with anything, you know, and, and often I thought, well, you could probably drop a couple million dollars in the ministry. That would be helpful. Never did that. So I called him up and I said, Mr. Smith, I got this situation going on that this church, you know, they want to merge with us. I said, but I've never done anything like this. Can you give me some advice? He said, yeah, come on to my office. And we went in his office. We found out that this church, uh, what, what, where the note was, what bank had the note. And lo and behold, the former pastor is now the vice president of commercial lending in that bank that held the note of this church. And so Mr. Smith, he calls the president of commercial lending, his name was Jim, and said, Jim, I got Tom and Vicky in here, and, uh, you know, the, the, the transition teams come to them and wanted to merge churches. He said, what's going on with it? He said, man, this is remarkable because the former pastor came into my office today and said, there's not too much longer that that church is going to hang on, that they're not going to be put in receivership. Now, nobody really knew that. That's how close that it was to being foreclosed on, almost ready to put in receivership. He said, man, this is, this is a great thing. And so Jeff said, well, listen, this is what I want you to do. And so we found out that Mr. Smith was so wealthy that he was on the board of the bank. You know, and he said, well, what was interest rates back then, 9.5% or something? I can't remember. He said, I want you to give Tom and Vicky a 9% interest rate and an interest-only loan. And he said, I want you to meet with him today. He said, well, I've got other things to do. He goes, Jim, meet with Tom and Vicky today. The president of the commercial lending cleans his calendar out, and he meets us that day. And on Friday, we had the keys to this particular property. They didn't check our finances. They didn't check anything. We were now given the keys of this particular property. And so, I mean, we're running two services. People are rejoicing. This young lady right here, Debbie Calvert, they were a part of the Grace Church in Mid-Missouri, and they merged graciously with us, and she's still part of us today. <clears throat> and so, anyway, uh, God, God blessed us. The favor of God was upon us. The parking lot hadn't been finished. In fact, the original uh, certificate of completion had never been signed off from this building. So we went and did the rest of what needed to be done, put a parking lot out there. And so our old location, we bought for $125,000, put $60,000 in it. Five years later, appraised for $365,000. And so we sold that in three months and took that $300,000 and put it towards the debt of this particular church and got that manageable with our particular congregation. In two and a half years, we paid it off. And then another two and a half years, we bought the 30 acres behind us. 
Why did I tell you that story? Because one day I was praying. I was walking around here praying here. And the Lord said, do you know why I blessed you with this facility, your ministry with this facility? You know, another, do you know why? Well, I, I want to know why. I said, yeah, why? He said, do you remember what Grace Church of Mid-Missouri did when you first preached for him? I said, yeah. And I remembered how they gave me a $100 offering. You know, and I wasn't treated right. No offense. Didn't take offense. He said, because you handled that right, I'm repaying you back. Come on, somebody. I'm repaying you back for doing the right thing. Listen, you are doing the right thing. And get ready, get ready, get ready, pastors. God is about to re ready to repay you back. Amen. We can tell personal stories about how God repaid us back. We can tell you all kinds of great things how God's repaid us back. Listen, when God repays back, he repays with dividends. Amen. Not only that which was lost or destroyed, what does it say? He redeems my life from destruction. Isn't that true? He redeems my life from destruction. And he repays back. If you can keep your faith in God, he will repay back. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you know what? That is in yellow in my Bible. How do I overcome obstacles? How do I overcome difficulties? By continuing to do good. On the front of my Bible right there, I got this thing that says don't quit. And if I get discouraged, I look in the back of my Bible, I got don't quit again. Why? Because you know what? Quitters never fail. I mean, quitters never win, but winners never quit. That's the key right to it. And so, you know, when you're going through some things, let me just encourage you. Keep on doing what God called you to do last. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. Go there with me, if you would, please. You know, nobody said it would be easy. And for those who don't know this, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in a, a flying club. I'm a pilot. And uh, none of those guys that I'm in the club with, you know, go to church here. And uh, someday they might, but they don't right now. And they all tease me. You know, they all, they all tell me I only work an hour a week. And uh, so I have a lot of fun with it, you know. So sometimes I can't make something. I say, yeah, it's a long hour this week. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they give me a hard time. But, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing the ministry. In fact, one guy said, you know, he said, when I was a kid, I was watching my preacher preach. And he said, man, I could do that. I said, well, you want a shot at it? Why don't you come Sunday morning? He said, no, 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 no. It's not that easy. But if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And let me encourage you. It's not always easy, but there's a grace to do what God's called you to do. Hello, somebody. Therefore, my son, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy. He said, be, be strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 2. Is, is that where I want to be? Let me see, make, make sure. Yes, that's where I want to be. And so to understand this, you need to understand that in the first book of Timothy, when Paul wrote Timothy, everything was going great. You know, Timothy had, you know, I asked Rick Renner what he thought. Uh, Timothy had a church that was very, very large. You know, some scholars believe 100,000. Some other scholars believe 300,000. He had a large work. 
But when Nimrod came into, char- into being into, as, as a Roman emperor and began to burn Christians at the stake in his garden just to have light in his garden, you know, Timothy saw 80% of his church exodus. Now, I don't care if you're running 100, 1,000, or 10,000. When 80% of people leave, that's discouraging, you know? And so now Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy because he's gone through the biggest challenge of his life. 80% of his church has left him. He said, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, and you will be able to teach others. What's, what's Paul saying? Just keep on doing what you're doing. Make disciples. Just keep on doing what you're doing, Timothy. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may be able to please him who enlisted him. Who's the one who called you? God did. You know, God hasn't fallen off his throne just because you've gone through a challenge in your life. Come on, somebody. God hasn't gone. You know, actually, he's laughing. Why? Because he has a setup. He has a setup for your comeback. How do I say that? Something like that, anyway. See, I wanted to know if you got it earlier. In your setbacks, God's got a setup for your comeback. He really does. He hasn't fallen off his throne. He knows what he's doing. And you know what? He gets such joy out of repaying you back. You know, we, we would rent out our other room in Fort Worth, Texas, just to make a little extra money. And we had this single lady live in uh, one of our bedrooms. And we were gone. We were doing some traveling for ministry and everything. And, and we were gone. And she had her son there. And he borrowed my son's skateboard. And he went up to the mall. And he hid it under some bushes. And when he came back, the skateboard was gone. And we came back, and she felt so bad. I said, oh, don't feel, don't feel bad for it. So what did I do? I went out and bought Jason a brand-new skateboard better than the first one that he lost. Well, that's what a good father does. He restores. And well, I'm here to tell you that if I can do that for my son, how much more can your heavenly father do for you? Amen. Amen. He wants to restore. I got so much joy giving Jason that new skateboard. Man, this is better than the one that got stolen. You know, he's kind of like, you know, maybe I can get a few more other things stolen so I can get something better. But anyway. <laughs> So no one engages, you know, in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now stop, all right? So Rick Shelton really helped me with this one time. You know, we, you know uh, when we went through some challenges, he said, Tom, it's not lack of prosperity and it's not lack of faith to back up and take a step back to preserve what you have. You know, I tell ICFM members this all the time. They say, well, I can't make the conference because I need to take some things care of, some, uh, care of some things in my church. Well, if you don't have a church, we don't have ICFM. You know, if you've ever helped missionaries, you know, and some of them, rightfully so, can say this. But, you know, if you've ever helped missionaries, they, missionaries say, well, the first thing that church has cut is missions. Well, that's the last thing we had to cut. I mean, we did everything we can to keep on paying the missionaries. But it came to the point was pay the missionaries or lose the ministry. What do you want? Well, I don't want to lose the ministry. Well, now we can do things for missionaries again. So it's not failure if you have to back up. Don't feel like you're a failure if you have to back up or you can't do as much. 
you know, I shared with Barry Tubbs. We were, we've been big uh, uh, supporters of Brother Copeland for years and years and years. I said, Barry, I said, I give you my word. I won't quit sowing, but I can't sow as much. He said, that's the key, Tom. He said, people will keep that attitude. It's not how much you give. It's the fact that you can give, you know. But you know what? You got to take care of yourself. And so the farmer, he's a partaker of his what? His crop. Listen, pastors, there's nothing wrong with being the first partaker of the ministry. Come on, somebody. If you don't take care of yourself, sometimes nobody else will. Let me say that again. Your thunderous amen just overwhelmed me. If you don't take care of yourself, sometimes nobody else will. And you know what? People respect you when you respect yourself. Oh, I'm doing really good. All right, thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. So consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. He was called an evildoer. He was, I mean, dear Lord, what was their problem? They called Paul an evildoer. But they're going to call Paul an evildoer. What do you think they're going to call you? Come on. You know, it's time that you pick, put your big boys or your big girls' pants on, huh? you know? I'll never forget, you know, we first started the church, and this guy was a nutcase. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, he got all mad at us after we started the church and stuff, you know, because, you know, he didn't treat his wife right, and she left him. And I encouraged her. I said, man, I wouldn't live with him either. I mean, he's a nut, you know? And so anyway, you know, and so you know, he's all mad. He's writing letters to, he's leaving packages of letters at the hotel where we had our guest ministers, you know. And so I called the prosecuting attorney and I go, what do I need to do, do about this? And he was such a blessing to me. He said, look, if you're going to be in leadership, you just need to get some tough skin and put your big boy's pants on. Great advice. You know what? That's what I needed to do. You know, you're going to have evildoers come against you. You know, unfortunately, that's not the fun part of the ministry. But you know what? It's going to happen. And you, you need just to know that it's going to, it's going to happen. It's not your fault that these evildoers don't have a right mentality. You know, they got a wrong mentality. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing the evil that they're doing. It's just that simple. And so it goes on. It says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, I'm going to take a little time here, and I know I read through the scriptures quickly, so, but you're all ministers, and you, you, you understand these scriptures probably better than I do. But you know the parable where Jesus said the man found a treasure in a field, and he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field so he can get that treasure? Did you know what he's really saying there? That Jesus paid for the sins of all the world so he can have you. Wow. He gave it all. You are that royal priesthood. You are that treasure. You are that elect that Jesus gave his life for. That Paul said, you know what? I endured for the elect. In other words, you know what? There's other people who need to hear what God's given me. There's other people who need to hear what God's given you. Don't quit because quitters never win, and winners never quit. Point number two, don't look to your congregation for comfort. Sheep don't heal the shepherd. Go with me to James chapter 5, verse 16. 
James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, for the effective fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. You know what that really means? That means because you are the righteousness of God, your prayers are so effective it makes all that heaven has available to you. How many of you are familiar with the scripture in Matthew chapter 21, verse 19, where it says when the, when the uh, lawyer came, to, or the rich man came to Jesus and said, what, 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 what do I need to do? He said, well, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you'll have much treasure in heaven. Well, there's another scripture that talks about don't put your, your, your money in earthly things, put it in your heavenly treasure, right? So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's in heaven? Your heavenly treasure. Think about it. That's where your seed's being multiplied. You know, and next time you pray that prayer, just tap into it. Hey, I have a heavenly account. Listen, I draw from my heavenly account. My wife is driving a new car because she knew her car was in her heavenly account, and she just kept on pulling it and pulling it and pulling it until it manifested. Why? Because we know that we've given enough seed for her to have a new car, you know? And so I'm doing the same thing. I'm pulling and pulling and pulling. You need to pull and pull and pull and pull. Has your ministry sown seed? Well, then your ministry has a heavenly account. Pull, pull, pull from the heavenly account. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have a heavenly account. What's going on with your account in heaven? It's multiplying. Pull from it. Come on, make a withdrawal by faith. I just pull in the name of Jesus. Well, what about those business partners you have called Kenneth Copeland? You sow into his ministry, don't you? Well, then you know what? As a business partner, don't you have access to his heavenly account? Well, absolutely you do. Come on, somebody. We're all in this together, aren't we? Pull from that account. Pull from that account. Pull from that account. I felt like that really, somebody really needed to hear that. But you know, it says confess your faults to one another. It doesn't say confess your faults to your congregation. You know, your congregation doesn't need that you're going through something because you're, 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 you're their champion. You're the guy or the girl that doesn't ever have any problems. You're never broke. They see you as the richest person in the city. They think you got all the money. And don't tell them any different. <laughs> you know, even though you don't, don't tell them any different. Why? Because you want them to be encouraged by your lifestyle. But if you're struggling with something, go to another shepherd or another minister who can relate to what you're going through and confess your faults to them. And remember this, just because you're going through something, you know, when, when you get fired, when someone leaves your church and they fire you, because that's what's going to happen. Listen, I can guarantee you probably before the year is over, someone will probably leave your church. I hope not. I hope if they do, God replaces with 100 more people. But you know, when they fire you, just know this, when you go through that emotion of feeling down and sad, there's nothing wrong with you. Why? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It happened to Elijah. It happened with David. They, they went through times of despair and disappointment, discouragement. But you know what? They kept their faith in God. And that's the key right there. And it says when he prayed earnestly, what happened? You know, he went to the mountaintop. He prayed. What happened? Sent the servant out there. He said, I, I don't see anything. He said, you know what? I hear the sound of abundance. Let me tell you something. In my spirit, I'm hearing the sound of abundance. I'm hearing it again. I heard this in 1992, 1993 when I was an associate staff with Pastor Bob Nichols. And I kept on saying, I hear the sound of abundance. Nobody knew what that meant. I didn't know what it meant. And then 1993, we had this 
audacious revival that changed our church forever. I saw the sound of abundance. I'm, I'm telling you, I hear that sound again. 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 I hear the sound of abundance. Number three, focus on what's right in your ministry. Focus what's on right in your ministry. You know, when we went through some of our challenges, you know, I, I would just talk about the testimony of what God had done thus far. I kept on talking about this, talking about how good God was and, you know, all this. <laughs> and this one guy came up to me and he said, if you tell me that testimony one more time, I'm going to puke. I'm like, you got a problem. And he did have a problem. You know, I was just rehearsing the goodness of God. Don't, don't, don't rehearse the negative things that happened. Rehearse the good things that God has done in your life. Focus on what is right. One thing Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he said, this one thing I do, I put those things which are behind me, and I press towards the mark. Keep pressing towards. Get some of those words that were spoken about you out. Can I tell on you? Would that be okay? I'm putting you on the spot. We, we, we love this couple, you know, and, and uh, we were a part of helping them get into the church that they're in. And, um, you know, and Denver will call, and they love the move of God. They love the prophetic, you know. And so he called me up. He said, uh, Pastor, we would really love for you to come and minister. I said, oh, come on, let's be truthful. You want my wife, not me, right? He said, yeah, that's really what we want. <laughs> you know, why? Because those words you, she, you got, don't just say, man, that was a great word I got, and tomorrow forget about it. Write it down. You know the word that Jerry gives, gave us? We have it on our website. We speak it all the time. If you really believe it's a word from God, then you will speak it. These things are going to happen. It came from a man of God. It came from a woman of God. God's doing, oh, man, oh, man. That step you took is going to be gigantic for you guys. Glory to God. Wow. It's going to be like someone's pushing you. Instead of you making any effort to it. I mean, you know, it's going to be like you're floating on Nike Airs. You know, you can slam dunk anywhere. But anyway, we'll move on. But Paul said, one thing I do, I, I press to obtain that which Christ obtained for me. Press into those prophetic words. Not only the promises of God, but those prophetic words. What God has for you. You know, before we ever started the church in 1990. Uh, five, we were doing a conference in Fulton, there at William Woods Conference. And this prophet came up to Vicki and I and said, oh, I see that you're going to pastor a church of hundreds and 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 hundreds. And we don't know how many hundreds of times he said it, but he just said it, you know, and over and over and over again, you know. And, you know, we haven't seen it yet, but we're pressing in. Hundreds and 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 hundreds. Say, well, Pastor, what if, does it, what, what if it doesn't happen? Don't bug me with that. You know, I'm happy believing for the best. Amen? Don't tell me God can't do it. I've already seen God to do too much. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And you have to. So keep, keep pressing in like Paul did. Focus on what's right in your ministry. Keep speaking and sharing the vision. Let me encourage you. The vision doesn't change, but the process does. The place does. The people do. You know? And so now we got to, 
you know, uh, 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 the best staff we've ever had working with us. And when God raises you up and sends you out, the next staff is going to be the best staff we've ever had. You know what I'm saying? You know, but, you know, keep speaking the vision. God will use different people. He'll bring in different circumstances. They may not happen. It wasn't certainly going to happen in that old bar for us, you know. And we certainly didn't want to be on an old country road that wasn't paved. But you know what? God had different plans. And he still has other plans. So don't give up on the vision. He may change the process, but he doesn't change the vision. You know, when I first went to Bible school, they asked us to help in the ministry. You know, of course, I'm a brand new Bible school. Anybody want to help in ministry? Wow, yeah, I want to help in the ministry. We need you to work in the mail room. Oh, okay. We need you to sort out all these envelopes by zip code. You know, now we have a computer that you press and it sorts everything out by zip code and sends everything out according to bulk mail, however you want to send it out. You know, well, did the vision change? No, the process did. You can do it in half the time. In fact, you can do it in a tenth of the time. Some of the things we used to take all day to do, we can do. You know, I, I, I love to study. I still have some of my study books. I have a Strong's Concordance. I have a Vines Concordance. You know, I have Locker, Lockwood, you know, all, all of their, their teachings. I got Matthew Henry commentary. I still have all those books. And they are getting so dusty. But, you know, I can put a message together in half the time. Not because I'm lazy, but because it's called copy and paste. I got these things disposable to me on the computer. I don't have to pull out this book and this book. I can compare it all on my computer screen. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what this means. And that's, yeah, I love it. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad for modern technology? Glory to God. And then I got Jaden back there. He fact-checks me. Anything I say, he gets on Google. Is this true? Siri, is Pastor Tom telling the truth? And Siri goes, who's Pastor Tom? But anyway... You know, I mean, I've had people, fa- I mean, you know, thank God for my, but you know, the vision hasn't changed, but the process has. So, you know, don't forget to go with change. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick on Hezer and Jordan here, but one day they were in my office. I said, how old are you? And they told me, I said, man, I need to get rid of you. And they looked at me, I said, man, you're just too old. I need some young people in here. <laughs> So anyway, we laughed about it. They're still with us, obviously, you know that. But, you know, you want some young people to bring in, you know, what platform are they socializing on? Because you want to get on their platform. And you want to tell them, hey, no matter what you're going through, young person, you don't have to kill yourself. It's not worth it. There's a plan for you. God has a plan for you. And, you know, they listen to to the older people still from time to time. Because they know we have something to say. They want somebody to speak into their lives. But you know what? I don't even hardly know what a platform is. The only reason I know a platform because I asked somebody right before my service, how do you do, what's this word? That's a platform, okay? Now I know. But, you know, no, you need some people to come in so that they can tell you where is it happening and so you can share the message of the good news. So the vision changes. No, I mean, the vision doesn't change, but the process does. And the last thing is, don't quit. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. And I'm about ready to finish up. I know I've gone a little longer, you know, but I'm, but, you know, it's just the men who have to get up early, not the women, so we're all right. Acts chapter 20. Uh, And I'm just going to prepare you. It's taken a little out of context, but you'll, you'll get the point. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race. Tell your neighbor, you're going to finish your race. With joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Other words, don't quit. Quitters never win, but winners never quit. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. You know, sometimes you get discouraged, you want to quit. Don't quit. Take a break. Nothing wrong with that. Take a rest. That's okay. But just don't quit. You know, years ago, you know, I was going to quit. You know, I mean, when I first started in the ministry, you know, I made, you know, 75% less of what I was making as an engineer. You know, I started in the ministry being a janitor. You know, I mopped up more tears than I did water. What am I doing here, dear God? You know, I made a mess of myself. You know, and so after six months or so and things like that, and yeah, God was doing some things in my life, but... I got a little discouraged, and I just said, okay, God, this is enough. I quit. He said, all right. Go ahead and quit. Well, you don't think God would speak to you like that, but he spoke to me that way. He said, go ahead and quit. He said, but I know you, Tom Luther. I'm like, whoa, you sound like my mother. Anyway, I said, he said, I know you, Tom Luther. And he said, you'll be right back here six months from now. I want to be right where you're at. So he said, don't quit. It's kind of like climbing a ladder that never ends. Just stop, take a rest until you get your breath and keep on going. Amen? Nothing wrong with taking a break. We all need a break from time to time. And again, that's why we need each other in the ministry, so we can help each other. Many of you know who Bob Capps was when Bob Capps had his first open heart surgery. I said, Bob, on my dime, I'm coming to your service, taking care of your service for you. You don't have to worry about anything. That's what we're here for. We're here to help you. We're here to help one another. We need that from time to time because we all go through difficult things. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.